I just want to thank the praise team uh, for leading us uh, during the time of praise. I don't know, just, you know, the song, uh, Man of Sorrows, it just gets to, it gets me, like, every time we sing, sing the song together. What a, what a, um, you know, beautiful uh, reminder of the gospel uh, for all of us. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for this time, for this privilege for us to come together as your people, as your body, that we gather here. Uh, though for many of us, this is a weekly occurrence, Lord, still, this is a privilege for us to come together to honor you, to listen to your word, give our time and our attention to what you have to say to us. So Lord, as we turn our hearts, minds, and thoughts, our souls, everything that we have to you, may you receive this time, this worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, we're, uh, we're resuming the study on, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we will be wrapping up soon. And, um, and I think um, it's God's provi- uh, providence that we are on this passage uh, as the last message of 2019. Can you believe it? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's, I can't believe that it's already the end of year 2019. Uh, time, how just time flies. So here we are, the last Sunday of the year 2019. And as we look back and reflect on this past year, you know, I think we've had our share of highs and lows. You know, maybe we can, uh, if you just really stop and think about it, I think we can think of some, you know, valleys and peaks that we went through this past year. But maybe some of us, for some of us, this past year may have been a blur. You know, actually, like, uh, so, you know, as I was preparing for this message, this past week, and I was just kind of, okay, maybe, I, you know, since I'm talking about evaluating and just thinking back, looking back on this year, so I should do some reflection. And in the, in the initial few minutes, nothing came to me. It was, it was just a blur. This is all these different things happening, but everything was jumbled up together. I couldn't really just kind of make out some of the really highs or the lows. Right? It was a, a lot of a lot of this past year was a blur. So many things happened. So many things going on. And my guess is that some of us, even though we say, hey, why don't we just kind of reflect, look back on this past year, maybe some of you guys are in the same boat. Can't really think of many or much because you have been so busy. You are just barely holding on in your life. It is necessary for us to pause and evaluate our lives. And because our lives are so hectic, many people have this mental fatigue setting in. They're just tired all the time, exhausted. From the waking moment in the morning till the moment you hit the sack, you are constantly on the go and don't really have much time to see, see the work of God, what God has been doing in your life. You know, we all need time to take a deep breath and meditate on God's word 
and its work in our lives because unless we take some time off, our life will continue going. We're going to be constantly just going and just going and just going at this neck-breaking pace all the time without ever taking a pause to think about what God is truly doing in each and every one of our lives. And do not compartmentalize your spiritual life. There is no such thing, as, or do not dichotomize. There is secular and there is sacred, right, in our lives. Doing quiet time or praying, reading the scripture, that, those things should not be treated as a checkoff from your to-do list. Oh, man, today, you know, I got to, I, I got to, you know, I should pray. I got to read before I start working. You know, I just got so much stuff to, to take care of today. So I better just get my devotion in quickly so that I can move on with the rest of my life. Right. Oftentimes, we consider, we compartmentalize our spiritual life, devotional life, apart from our daily lives, the daily routine that we go through. But that is not what we are to do. Our devotion to Christ has to be the foundation of our lives, not just one of the many aspects of our lives. We kind of just categorize the different aspects of our lives, like our financial finances or our relationship aspect, you know, our work life. And so we have all these categories, and then we categorize our walk with Christ as one of the many aspects. And they think that's just something that I have to check off today. And that's how we do, and that's how we treat our spiritual life, instead of making our walk with God, our devotion to Christ, the foundation upon which we can have, have all these other aspects of our lives. But we often, we don't do that. We don't make that a foundation. We make it just one of many things that we have to get done throughout the day. Christianity is about a dynamic relationship with a living God. It is really about knowing Him and being known by Him. It is about loving Him and walking with Him. You know, Christianity suffers these days because there is no depth in our walk with Christ. I mean, we may say the right things, and we may engage in many Christian activities, but still, we just feel like we're just running on fumes a lot of times. If I, if I can, I can just compare that to the, the difference between a yacht and a submarine. A lot of Christians are like the yachts on the surface of the water. So when there is like a storm coming, oh, it's just going tossed to and fro and going crazy. When there's like a bad weather, you go crazy on the yacht, struggling. Where the submarine when it goes deep underwater, it really doesn't, what's happening on the surface of the water does not really affect the submarine. A lot of times I feel like, including myself, we are like this yacht on the surface of the water, depending on the weather. You know, it dictates our walk with God oftentimes. Whereas I think what God calls us is to have this deeply rooted uh, just life in Christ, just like the submarine. You know, when the submarine goes deep underwater, nothing bothers, right? And that's what we need. That's what we should aim for. You know, as we close out this year, you know, what is your assessment 
of your walk with Christ. Do you feel like a headless chicken just running all over the place? That is not the Christian life that Jesus envisions or talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He explains to his followers the lifestyle and the life attitudes that he, he expects from them. As we have been going through it the past few months, on this whole, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he's talking about the ethics of the kingdom, how we are to carry ourselves, what we are to do, right? And he encourages them, encourages us to ask, seek, and knock. And he promises us, promises his followers that the Father will indeed answer as we seek, as we knock, and as we ask. And really, the Christian life is to be full of life and vibrancy because we know God and He knows us. You know, I, uh, just last Sunday, uh, for those of us who were at the Christmas pageant thing, you know, at the end uh, of the, the, the wonderful skit that, uh, uh, that some of us did, you know, the song that we sang, right, it, it, it said, you know, He knows my name, that God knows my name. It's a really, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful song, and, and I enjoy singing. I haven't sung this song in a while, but it's a good reminder that God knows us. What, a, what joy that is to, to, to be known by the God of the universe. That's what Christian life is about. It's not about simply showing up on church on Sunday, saying hello to one another, kind of sit through the service. It's about knowing Him, knowing the living God. So today, we seek to pause and check up on our lives. And as we do so, Jesus gives us a warning and He challenges us. So the first thing that, um, you know, as you may know, I usually have two points. I was taught in the seminary to, you should, you should have like three points, right, sermon. But uh, these days, uh, I don't know, not intentionally, but I just end up having just two points. So the first point that I want to, uh, that, uh, that from this passage that I can think of, that I believe that Jesus is talking about, is the danger of counterfeit Christianity. The danger of counterfeit Christianity. Right off the bat, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. You know, when we hear the word prophets, we usually think of this specially anointed, anointed like people in the Old Testament who talked about what is to come, what was coming, what is going to happen in the future. So when we, when we hear the word prophets, we usually think of someone who foresees, right? Like a fortune teller would be a secular version of a prophet. But you know, in the Bible, the nature of prophesying had two elements. Foretelling, right, predicting the future, that's one. But the other is foretelling, giving a message from God. So prophecy is not simply all about predicting what's going to happen in the future. We only associate, uh, associate a prophecy with the former, but in fact, Majority of prophecies were the latter case. Most of the prophecies given in the Old Testament 
was actually speaking forth the message that the prophets have received from God. Some of them may have involved what was going to happen in the future, but most of it was about what he needed to say to his people, how they are to turn from their wicked ways, turn from their ways, and return to the Lord. That was the majority of the prophecies. So therefore, you know, when Jesus talks about false prophets here, it also refers to false teachers, the messages that they deliver to people. So when Jesus talks about false prophets, it also means false teachers. Those, uh, those you know, whose words, those whose words sound religious, but heretical to wrong things, such as, you know, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Mormons, and people like the heretical sect, right? I remember uh, one time, many, many years ago, it was like uh, right after I graduated from seminary, I just heard knock on the door, so I went, and sure enough, there were like two people, right, standing, and um, so one was right next to, right in front of me, and the other was, I guess, a trainee, so he was sitting in the back, so they turned out to be Jehovah's Witnesses, and so we had, oh yeah, okay, so let's talk about theology then, right? So uh, we started talking, and um, what I usually do when those people come, Mormons or like Jehovah's Witnesses come, I actually, I don't just kick them out. I, I get really, because they think that they are being persecuted, so they get even more fired up if you get really mean to them. So I, I, I become really nice. I even invite them in, because, you know, the time that they spend with me is less than that much less time that they have with, you know, talking to other people, right? So I try to just offer tea and coffee and just, hey, let's sit down, let's talk about this. But at, at that time, I was a little cranky, right? I was hangry. So, uh, so we were just talking. And um, they, uh, so, so we were talking about, you know, just uh, the Jesus, right, part. And uh, I said, hey, did you know, to me, I said, did you know that, you know, in the, in, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is a lesser God. He's not a God with a capital G, but uh, with a small letter G. It's like, what? What are you talking about? I said, oh, it's in the Bible. Even if you, if you look at the, the Greek language, the original language of the, of the New Testament, uh, the God, uh, when it was referring to Jesus, it was a, the lowercase, uh, lowercase g. I was like, oh, yeah? Really? That's interesting because I have a Greek Bible with me, right, at home. And I just came, you know, I just graduated from seminary. So I was, you know, just Greek was still fresh in my mind. And in Greek, theos, um, you know, it starts with uh, letter uh, theta. There is no, it, it's identical, like uh, the lowercase and the, 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 the capital, it, it's, it's, it's the same theta, right? There is no lowercase for theta, right? Oh, no, no, you, 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 don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. I can show it to you. And so, like, um, from there, and then so they're, okay, well, whatever, okay, whatever. And so, and... I don't know, I think the spirit was on me, like, I got so fired up, and so, like, everything that they said, I nailed it. You know how sometimes when you are in an argument with somebody, but you know you are, like, kind of nailing it? I was there, I was, like, I was, like, so, like, fired up, and I was, like, so happy. Um, but anyway, so, so after some time, they just, okay, thank you very much. The, the guy, the, the trainee guy never said a word, and the guy in front, in front of me, we were talking, he, he just said, okay, just thanks for your time. And he just left. I was like, no, you can stay longer if you want. But they just walked away. Um, so, you see, like, there are people who, they're the false teachers, like, uh, talking about heretical things, right? Beware of them. 
Because, and there are a lot of also false teachers who are motivated by money, fame, and power. You know, we are obviously talking about prosperity gospel people, right? A lot of them, uh, they, they don't really mention repentance. They're all about positive thinking. Oh, let's not talk about sin. That's so negative. It's really depressing. It's gloomy. We got to really think about the good life that God offers to us, right? Let's think positive. From the beginning of Christianity, false teachers have infiltrated the church and led people astray. They presented themselves to be insiders. As Jesus says, they are in sheep's clothing, but their intention is destructive. Jesus says they are like the ravenous wolves. Hey, you know, they would just come along and say, hey, I'm one of you. Hey, brother, hey, sister, it is so nice to meet you. Let me, ta- ta- let me teach you. Let me talk about the Bible. Maybe you have not known about this. Maybe the church doesn't really teach you about this, but I'm going to give you a special knowledge, something. They almost have the elitist attitude. I say, hey, I, have, I possess a special knowledge that no church really teaches, teaches you about. Let me tell you about this, all these things. Counterfeit Christianity is rampant. You know, counterfeit by definition, is, or by definition implies the existence of the genuine. Right? Counterfeit currency is around because the real currency exists and it's valuable. Counterfeit or false prophets or false teachers exist because there are genuine and true teachers of the Word of God. You know, false prophets and teachers, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Not the fault, the, but the, the true and genuine teachers. So how do we make the distinction? The genuine teachers faithfully teach the word and, preach, uh, and they preach the gospel. Right? So when you hear a message, even if it's from me or Pastor Jay, right? is the message what we are saying, is it faithful to the text? Is it consistent with the biblical truth? You have to really just weigh that, weigh, weigh every message that you hear. Is it really consistent? Is it really, is it really, is that what the scripture really talks about, right? So if, you know, PJ all of a sudden starts saying, oh, you know, John Piper, I love him. He's the fourth person of the Godhead. Now that we have a problem, right? If, if, so, like, we have to really make sure that, that what, uh, the teaching that you receive, you have to wait, and we have to weigh, and you have to examine what is written in the scripture, not all prophecies or teachings are to be taken at face value. Scripture says you, they must be tested. They must be tested. And not only the false prophets or false teachers, but I think this passage can also be applied to false professors of faith. People who profess, they say the right things, but they, are not, they don't truly belong to Christ. There are counterfeit Christians there are. So how do we know? How do we discern them? They talk the talk and have all the appearance of being Christian. So how? How are we going to discern them? When we look at them, they look the same. They don't, they don't stick out. So how do we discern them? Jesus says the test is not their profession, but their fruit. The fruit here, it means both character and conduct. The character of that person, the conduct, the way he carries himself. The only way to know for sure is to allow time to see their fruits. 
fake it till, till you make it does not apply here. Right? Jesus does not uh, specify what their fruits are, but some are mentioned in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3, it talks about controversies. They stir up because they are just talking about wrong things. They stir up controversies in the church. And 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 3 and 4, I believe it's in the, the yeah. It says, uh, verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, even suspicious, evil suspicious. So those are the, the fruits of the people. When, you, when those people, they just come and constantly argue and talk about, no, 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 that's not what the, the Bible teaches really. You guys have been deceived. And there are others. There are the destruction of faith in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 18, and self-destruction by heresy in chapter two, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Yeah. Um, when we look at people over time, what we understand is true character will show. Over time, true character will show. Often, you know, our first impression can steer us to regard someone in a certain light, right? When somebody has a really bad first impression, it kind of sticks with us. Man, I don't like that dude. He's like so cocky. He's just like, I don't like him or I don't like her, right? And that can really just make us like kind of relate to that person in a certain way, right? But over time, who that person truly is will come out. And Jesus says, give some time and see. Look at his or her life and the fruit that comes out. Right? Remember many, many, many years ago, there was this guy that uh, joined the church that I was serving. The, from, the, from the first moment he, he came in and joined us, people loved him. He's like a live wire. You know, like you know, when there's like a party with a group of people, he comes in and the whole mood of the, the group gets like all like, no, because it's like funny and he's like, you know, he's, he's like a, the, the life of the party, right? So people loved him. And then, like, when it came to, like, um, I guess what is, uh, like, the events planning team of, of our ministry, like, we didn't have that at the time. And he just, like, took it upon himself to, to took the initiative to just get people and then just organize some, like, you know, events, like Christmas parties and all these, like, other gatherings and fellowship. And we all, I was like, oh, my gosh, here's a leader. He's got this leadership quality. People love him. He's charismatic and, and has this magnetic personality about him. So immediately, we, I, I just like, uh, you know, a friend of mine, we, we were serving together. He said, hey, let's make him a leader, right? So we uh, asked him to be a leader, right, uh, of this fellowship ministry thing. Because we didn't have it. And so we're like, oh, this is perfect guy. He's like, people love him and people follow him. He's well organized. So we just gave him the, the, the leadership position. A few months later, we started noticing that he just like not coming out to church. Um, and then we just try to reach out to him. He doesn't return uh, the call, emails, and things like that. And before you know it, you know, that he just fell off the face of the earth. We don't know where he went. Right. So from the beginning, he had this all the looks of like having a really solid walk with God. He talked about like Jesus and God and all these things. And then we just assumed 
because he was so like, well-liked by other people, surely God sent it to us to really just minister to us and just use his gift and talent to really just bring everybody together. But the fruit did not show. It's easy for us to kind of make a, you know, evaluation of some, someone just by, just by looking at them quickly and just by what they say. But Jesus says, no, don't just like go by the professions right. or the appearance of being a Christian. Look at their fruit. That's how we know whether one per, someone is truly saved or not. And it starts with ourselves. How do we know whether someone is genuine or not? Look at the fruit. And that's what Jesus tells us. And we have to look at ourselves too. Is there a fruit in my life? I call myself Christian, but is there a change taking place? Is there a genuine transformation taking place in your life? I'm not just talking about just from yesterday or from a month ago, but year in and year out, you look at your life and you're still the same person. There is no fruit for God that's being produced in your life. Then are you genuinely saved? So that is a warning that Jesus gives to us. And the second point that Jesus talks about is walk the walk. Walk the walk. So as, we, uh, as you look back on your life this past year, have you known God better? Have you loved him more? If you say, yeah, I think so. Well, how do you know? How do you know? Are you going to say, well, I think it's just my gut feeling. Because I think I have this like, warm, fuzzy feeling about it. I have a good feeling about Jesus. Because if having the warm, fuzzy feeling is all you can say about your walk with God, then that is not enough. I'm sorry to say. I'm not saying feeling of intimacy is wrong or we should totally disregard our emotions. Not at all. I mean, even just as we were singing the songs, the praise songs this morning, it really just really warmed up my heart. I, I mean, my heart was so, because I was struggling. I was struggling this morning. But it really just warmed up my heart. So I'm not against emotion whatsoever. No, absolutely not. When I think about Christ, when I think about the implications of the gospel, it really stirs my heart. My blood boils. But intuition, emotions by themselves cannot give us accurate assessment of our walk with God. It does not matter how long you've been to church, you've grown up in the church. It does not really matter how you feel. Right? When I was young, I was all about passion. I was all about feelings. You know, you know the, the routine, the, the drills going to retreats, feeling so great. I said, oh, you know, I'm, I live for you, God, and I'm just going to give my life for you. So when I had that feeling of intimate, uh, the intimacy, then I thought that I was intimate with the Lord. But when my feelings were gone, then I struggled. And I felt guilty. Oh, man. I made all these promises to God. I made commitments to God. But where am I? Oh, I feel so guilty. And then I just felt guilty about feeling guilty. You know, like... The feelings come and go. Our walk and our assessment of our walk with Christ should not be based on how we feel, 
about him. Because here, in verse 21, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there are professing Christians, people who are who grown up in the church, and they say, Lord, Lord, right? They perform miracles. They even seem orthodox. But Jesus says they, didn't, they never really belong to him. You know, doubling of the name Lord, Lord, when you say Lord Jesus, that's one thing. But in, in, in the Bible, when you repeat, when you double the name, it shows intimacy. It is to show intimacy. So at least from that guy, from that person's point of view, he has been intimate with the Lord. It says, Lord, Lord. It isn't but, but still, Jesus says, I never knew you. It isn't claims it, it, is, it is not claims or feelings of intimacy with Jesus that matter or simply like the good works. Only doing the will of the Father matters. Genuine intimacy with the Father means knowing God and being known by Him. Doing the will of the Father, what God calls us to do in our daily lives. Not simply, oh, I don't know how to really assess my Spiritual life, uh, spiritual life, I think I've been, you know, I, I come out to church pretty regularly and I feel good about Jesus. Isn't that good enough for me to know that I am walking with God? Jesus says no. With all the, you can't have all the appearance of being a Christian. Saying the right things. Profession is, per, is spot on. You can pray. You can make the, 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 the profession of faith. And you feel good about yourself. But they are in for the surprise of their lives. In the last day, Jesus is more concerned about our walk than our talk. We are to do right, not just say the right words. And what kind of walk is Jesus uh, talking about? From this passage, it is the fruitful life, the life that bears fruit. And what fruits does Jesus, uh, Jesus seek? The Christian character as described in the Beatitudes as we went over the Beatitudes, a life that is hungering for righteousness, a life that is just poor in spirit, a life that is characterized by mourning over our sins, a life that is characterized by our purity, the holy life. Also, the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians chapter 5 talks about, the fruit of the Spirit, is that being produced in your life? Are you better self-controlled? Are you more merciful? Are you gentler? And the holy living. In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, says this. I don't know if, do we have the thing? Right. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's end eternal life. It says the fruit that you get, it has to lead to sanctification. It has to lead to a holier living. That there will be a, of course, throughout our lives we'll struggle with sin, but still, Gradually, over time, there has to be more victory that you experience in your life against our fight against sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And these are the kind of fruits that Jesus is seeking. So do you see, that, do you see this in your life? Whole, holy living, good works being done, these are the kind of fruit that Jesus seeks and says, when we do these things, we are doing the will of the Father. And when we are doing it in an increasing measure, then Jesus says, I know you. 
and you know me. What's alarming and uh, troubling is the counterfeit Christians who apparently believe themselves to be genuine disciples. And they appeal to their charismatic activities to prove it. But to their utter shock, they turn, turn out not to have a real relationship with Christ. So here's a sobering thought. It is entirely possible for us to fool ourselves, thinking that we are saved when we really are not. Because there are people that in a common last day say, Lord, Lord, I am intimate with you. I thought we were like buddy buddies. You are my BFF. And I, you know, like I, I, I prophesied, I performed many miracles, I did some great things that no one else can. Isn't this good enough? I thought I knew you. And Jesus says, you have never, no, I never knew you. You thought you did, but I, as for me, I did not know you. What truly matters is not profession or Christian activity, but whether Jesus knew them. Don't just assume that you are known by Christ just because you have been to church all your life or just because you were, you are, you were serving. You are serving. You know, one of the strategies of Satan is to blind the mind. As 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, yeah, maybe we don't have that. Um, anyways, trust me, that's what he says there. And, um, and he deceives the people. He deceives people into thinking that they are saved. That is a strategy that he, he uses constantly. He blinds us. He blindfolds us. And we are just apathetic to the truth. And we think to ourselves, that, hey, I'm a Christian. I think, you know, I, I, I say Jesus is Lord. I read a Bible. I come to church when, whenever, uh, when I can. And yet, still, they don't know that they don't belong to Christ. When Jesus returns, there will be many professing Christians who will be shocked to find out that they were never saved. What a sobering thought. Just when you thought that you got it, you really haven't. You know, this recently, like, um, there were some high-profile pastors, well-known nationwide. And just one of them, there was just quite a shock when he, uh, through, like, Instagram, basically said, I don't know if I really believe in all the things that I preached about. He, he was serving, actually, in Maryland, a mega church. I actually met him. And we, I, I even, we even invited him to speak at one of the conferences. He was nationally known, like, you know, he published a book that everybody loved growing up. It was, sh- it was a shock. I'm not saying that he's not saved or anything, but at least from, from the looks of it, he's really struggling. He's ser- searching for the truth. He had all the looks. He was even a pastor. And I've known a few pastors who were serving God, preaching just like I am doing, but now they just renounce their faith. Itinerant preachers who are just have huge following, and then they just renounce their faith. If pastors are like that, pastors like that fall away from faith, what makes us think that, that we are so solid in our walk with God? Right? People get fascinated with miracles, signs, and wonders. You know, we don't see them every day, so when we see them, we get amazed and put those people who, those, who do those things on pedestal. However, these things by themselves mean nothing. Miracles signified and pointed to the spiritual truths underlying the miracles because these things 
the spectacular, sensational stuff will only feed the selfish ego. And it does not lead to the glorification, glorification of God, but to the praise of the miracle worker. We have to really just watch out. Even though you may see some people with just winsome char- uh, characteristic personalities, and the, when you listen to his or her uh, his message or something, it's like, oh, he's so good. He's like, he's so good. And yet, it is possible that the person, a servant of God, may not know Christ. The call to righteousness is more about personal relationship with God and godly living among people. So as we examine our lives, the question is, are you doing the will of the Father as revealed in the scriptures? It's not just what we say, how we feel about the Lord, but are we really walking with God? Talking the talk is cheap. We got to walk the walk. May we walk the walk in the new year 2020. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Um, let's take a moment to, uh, yeah, just uh, pause and examine our own lives and also think about where you are with the Lord. I really pray that you don't belong, to, uh, you, are not, you are like these people who are calling Jesus, Lord, Lord, have you not even done some amazing, miraculous things? Other people, other Christians can do that. We did great things for you. And yet Jesus said, I never knew, knew you. Is your walk, so-called walk, or so-called faith, is it based on what you say? Is it based simply on even how often you come to church? Or even, oh, I serve. I serve in the praise team, I serve in this team, I, 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 I volunteer for this and that. Is your walk with Christ based on those things? The activities, profession, or the emotions? Or are you truly bearing fruit as revealed in the scripture? Is your life, can you honestly say to God and to yourself that you are truly bearing fruit of righteousness? fruit of holiness, fruit of the Spirit? Or do you always just refer, uh, just go back to good old days? Oh yeah, I remember like two years ago at that retreat, I really felt the presence of God. I felt like God was with me and I love God. Is your uh, Christian walk based on the past event, living in the past? Because if, you, if that's your honest assessment of your walk with God, then I invite you and I challenge you to reconsider your faith, your walk with him. Because profession is not going to get you there. Your feelings will not get you there. It is about knowing him, being known by Christ, doing the will of the Father, loving him and knowing him. So let's go before God. Take a moment to assess, see where we are, so that we may draw closer to Christ.